What famous trademark was lost because it was never registered and was taken over by the pornography industry? Okay. <laughs> Why is the nickname for the British pound called a quid? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this half hour of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Yeah. We do this this <laughs> week for the Cedarburg Public Library and then put it out on the web going all over the world, and we have some interesting questions today. And my first one, Marcia, deals with a trademark, a famous trademark. It was lost because a certain organization never registered it and was taken over by the pornography industry. What was oh, that? Oh, gosh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Pornos. It's a famous trademark. trademark. Porno movies or porno? Pornography movies, yeah. pornography industry. There's a, okay, you got me, tell me. The X rating. Oh, really? That was actually a trademark, but it was never registered. It was used by the Motion Picture Association from 1968 to 1990 for films containing unsuitable content for children, such as extreme violence, strongly implied sex, and graphic language. And guess what? There were a lot of famous films that first got X ratings before they re-edited their films. Okay. Midnight Cowboy. Oh, that was X? Medium Cool. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, A Clockwork Orange, and Last Tango in Paris all received the X rating, and then after cuts, were later given R ratings. In fact, RoboCop, remember that film? Uh -huh. That had to be edited 11 times. What happened it, in that thing? It had extreme violence oh, and sex, violence. too. Yeah. yeah. Ah. And finally, when the Motion Picture Association decided to get away from it, they went to the NC-17 rating Yeah. because so many major Hollywood films were having problems getting audiences or even being able to advertise. Huh? So they dropped the X rating. But because the X rating wasn't registered, the pornography industry picked it up and started using I, it as X, double X, and triple X. Oh, so what you're saying is porn movies, they just refer to themselves as X rated and that's their term? That's right. Now, the uh, MPAA did trademark NC-17 as a trademark only they can apply, as well as the other ratings. So they learned their lesson. But that's just an example of if you've got a trade name and you're not registering it, it can be picked up by other people and used for some very bad purposes. <laughs> okay. All right, Bob. We hear the term quid all the time. That's because we watch those British television that's shows. That's right. It's usually around a dollar, above uh. or below. So anyway, where did the term quid come from? That is a good question. It's been around for centuries. Yeah. It goes back to the sovereign gold coin. What does it mean? One pound is equivalent to 100 pence. And when exchanged for something of equal value, the deal, getting something for something, in Latin terms is called a quid pro quo. Oh, of course, yes, yes. Which was then simply abbreviated to quid. <laughs> I didn't know it came from that expression, no, quid either. pro quo. No, me goes way back. This is something you'd think common people in the streets of London in the 19th or 18th century would not know. No, they probably didn't. They, yeah. they just... Call it a quid. Yep. Okay. 
All right, Marcia,、uh, back to trademarks. What are the world's oldest registered trademarks still in force? Now, what's the difference between a registered trademark and a trademark? Oh, I think we're going to find out. Well, back in the <laughs> medieval days, trademarks、really? were used by medieval guilds. They protected the makers and the things they made. And then in the 19th century, in the 18th century, you had branding—you know, people using hot utensils to brand either merchandise or or cattle. But registered trademarks—the idea of trademarks being registered with a governing body to get commercial protection—that was a new thing, and it didn't happen until the mid 19th century. So registered trademarks don't go back very far. The first known registered trademark—I'll tell you when it came: 1859. Any idea what it was? Oh, is it、uh, is it Guinness? No, it's not Guinness. Guinness, though, has been around for hundreds and hundreds of、yeah. years. Was it blue jeans? No, not blue jeans. What? Pilsner. 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 The beer. The Czech beer Pilsner first trademarked in 1859, and the trademark is still in force. Okay. And then in the United States, one of the oldest is Vaseline for petroleum jelly, also from the 1870s. But the very oldest in the United States is deviled ham. The devil. <laughs> Isn't that funny?、Yeah. The Underwood Company, which makes deviled ham. You mentioned jeans. Did you know that Levi's trademark was never their name until 1928? Oh, okay. I thought it went back farther. Well, they did go back farther. But what was their trademark before they used their name in 1928? Don't know. Before that, it was a two-horse logo. Don't they use that still sometimes? Well, I think they still show it. Yeah, yeah, on, the, on their patch, on two the horses like stretching、yeah. a pair of jeans to show how、uh, strong they were. Yeah, and until the registered trademark on Levi's on December fourth, nineteen twenty-eight, they were referred to as the two horse brand by most people. Really? Yeah, I'll buy that two horse brand of pants over there. I'll be damned. All right. So, Bob, name the star of this famous long-running sitcom whose mother was in the audience for every show. And can often be heard laughing and talking aloud in the background. Okay, so this was like I Love Lucy or it something. It was、else? exactly that. Was it her mother or was it Desi's mother? No, it was her mother, Dee Dee Ball. No kidding. And she never missed an I Love Lucy show, <laughs> and she could often be heard saying "Oh, oh!" in oh really <laughs> from the audience and laughing loudly. You could often hear her laugh ab- above the others. And just an aside, did you know the show was almost called I Love Lopez? No, <laughs> yeah. I love Lopez. Yeah, they were going to call the main couple Lucy and Larry Lopez. Oh God, <laughs> terrible names! I love Lopez. Yeah. Wow. All right, Bob. The first pleasure cruise ship started in 1901, but they've come a long way. And today, the biggest cruise ship in the world has 18 decks and holds、God. how many guests? 18 decks. Yeah. Holy cow! So it must be close to 10,000 people. You're right. It's 7,000. And it has more than thirty dining venues and amenities like a zip line and a rock climbing wall,、mm-hmm. and seven distinct themed neighborhoods. It's like a floating city. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing that that's a kind of entertainment that people yeah want and can do. You yeah, know? and you know that crew members on these cruise ships have their own code, speaking in code, so that passengers don't get alarmed. I would assume <laughs> yes. Alpha or Sierra means a medical emergency. Oh really? Bravo means there's a fire on board, so you don't want to hear that one. <laughs> In the event of someone going overboard, the word is Oscar is used Oscar by Royal Caribbean ships. Other commonly heard codes are thirty thirty, 
which is a cold for maintenance to clean up a mess. Mm. And then uh, PVI, a public vomiting incident. Oh, dear. <laughs> public vomiting. Yeah, so the staff is well aware of these secret codes. So that you know, we- you got to have those things, you know. you got to be able to communicate things without people understanding. That's why the police have all those codes. Yeah, they they even, yeah, they do it at Walgreens, too. You never know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Marcia, you're talking about pleasure cruises, and a lot of those take place in the Caribbean, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that part of the world in the Americas is where some of the oldest cities in this part of the world are. We think of the New World as, well, new, but how new is it? Let's look at the oldest capital cities in the Americas. Have any idea how far back they go? For instance, the first capital city in the Americas was founded five years after Christopher Columbus made his first voyage. Is it Toronto, Canada, Havana, Cuba, St. John's, Newfoundland, or Santo Domingo? Santo Domingo. You know, I said all that stuff to throw you off. No. (laughs) The oldest capital city in the Americas is not in the Caribbean. It is St. John's, Newfoundland, which was founded in Canada in 1497. 1497. 1497. It was a fishing base and a trade center for the Spanish and Portuguese, and it's named after John the Baptist, St. John's in Newfoundland. 113,000 people live there today. There were nine other cities that are the next oldest in the New World. I'll give you some answers to those in a minute. Okay, I can't wait, Bob. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> okay, speaking of cruise ships, which I just did, there's a cruise ship called The World, and it has an interesting singular distinction, Bob. What is it? It's not of this world. It's <laughs> of another world. No. It's called it, The World. What's the yeah. unique distinction? Yeah. Hmm. Well known among certain types. Is it an entertainment distinction? Nope. Is it a navigational distinction? Nope. Is it a speed distinction? Nope. What the hell is it, Marsh? (laughs) It's the world's largest private residential ship with 165 permanent residents on board. Wow. They travel to exotic locations year-round with an itinerary determined by them and their captain each year. Wow, this is different than timeshare. (laughs) Well, it's not that different. It's become particularly popular among budget-savvy retirees. Oh, no kidding. it's a pretty big budget. Yeah. Many compare it to the cost of living in a retirement home and find it more economical. Aside from the obvious fact that one of these options is at sea, residential homes and the ship have notable similarities such as meals, organized activities, and room cleaning. So it's a retirement home where every day you have a new view. That's right. Ah, ah, that's yeah. a good yeah. idea. And to buy into this, it costs anywhere from 2 to $15 million. What? It, depending if you want a studio. This is budget-conscious seniors? Yeah. yeah, I don't understand how that follows. 2 to $15 million? Depending if you want a studio or two or three-bedroom suite, as your room. And then, of course, there's an annual service charge, which I could not find out what that was. <laughs> After you pay your 2 to $15 million, yeah, yeah. Then you it, have to pay an annual service charge? Yeah, they didn't want plebeians like me to know exactly what that amount Holy was. Holy cow. Well, that's different. That's a totally different lifestyle. But wouldn't that be cool, though? Which I we mean... will never, ever <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> okay, just saying. Okay. Tell me, Bob, what is a biblioboro? A biblioboro? Biblio, borough, B-U-R-R-O. Oh, B-U-R-R-O. Is that a place where you dig into the ground to read books? The Biblio Borough. No? That makes sense. Uh-huh. This guy, Luis Soriano, a teacher from the rural northern Columbia town of La Gloria, 
was determined to give his students access to books. So he set up a library on the backs of his two burrows. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it is. He owned two donkeys, whom he renamed Alpha and Beto, combined, which is the Spanish word for alphabet. Okay. And he loaded the donkeys with about 70 books from his own bookshelves. He did this 25 years ago, and he's still doing it. He takes these books around to all the elementary school and makes sure that the kids enjoy the joy of reading. Well, that's wonderful. It is. And even after a writing accident on his donkey left him with a prosthetic leg, he hasn't stopped. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) It hasn't stopped this determined educator from inspiring young Colombian children to read. Well, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. So it's called a Biblio Burrow. Yeah. And that's the donkey. The library on the bag of a donkey. Well, that's a pretty cool term. It is. I like it? that. I it's like not that. Your, it ain't your local bookmobile. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. We're back. Back with The Off-Ramp, Bob and Marsha Smith. Marsha, I was talking about the oldest capital cities in the New World cities that happen to be the capitals of countries or provinces or states, okay? Uh And we said, what was the number one, the oldest one, 1497? Quick quiz now. (laughs) Okay. What was it? Newfoundland, Marsh. St. John's, Newfoundland. It was on the tip of my tongue. First question, you forgot about it already. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that was 1497. So I want to ask you, what is the next oldest capital city in the New World? Any idea? It's also in the 1400s. It's the capital of the Dominican Republic. What would that be? Santa Domingo. That's right. That was founded in 1498, and 3.3 million people live there today. And number third and fourth, they're tied, Havana, Cuba, and Panama City. When do you think those were founded? I have no idea. 1519. Gosh. Then you have uh, all these other states. None of them are younger than 1538. The 10th oldest capital in the Americas is Bogota, Colombia, founded as a Spanish naval base in 1538. And each one of these have millions of people living in them. Eight million people live in Bogota. And all these others are like anywhere from one to five million people. So the oldest cities in the New World are pretty old by these days. They are. They're very old. Yeah. Okay, Bob, going back to libraries, what is a chained library? A chained library. Yeah, you ever so a library you're not allowed to get into, and they got chains across it. It's not that. Okay, it's a library about chains. Yes, <laughs> it's got a lot of links to it. Yes, it's uh-huh. it's a term. There are a dozen chained collections that still exist in England. It's the practice of chaining reference books to library shelves to prevent theft. Oh, that makes sense. Yes, uh, they still got about a dozen libraries that still use this old method that goes back to medieval times. Everything was chained. Chained down because, because everybody was stealing? Just, well, everybody would just walk off with it. There was no system. Okay. <laughs> and so they were created to prevent thefts. And in England, there's still a dozen libraries that have uh, reference books chained to the wall. See, my other thought was that maybe it's like a chain of libraries. Oh, yeah. You know, like chain restaurants, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, no, that isn't it. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, Marsha, I have another trademark question here. What is genericide? Genericide. What is genericide? It's getting rid of all your relatives? No, but side, what does that usually mean? C-I-D-E. Side, like uh, uh, herbicide. It's a... uh, Something that kills. 
Something that kills. All right. Infanticide, <laughs> herbicides. Yeah, right. What's a genericide? What's that? Someone that kills a generation of people? No, it's no. the death of a legally protected trademark through misuse, which then turns it into a generic term. You and your trademarks. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to ask you what these terms have in common. Aspirin, cellophane, dry ice, and escalator. What do they have in common? Yeah, aspirin, cellophane, dry ice, and escalator. The, oh, I know, I know, I know. Okay. This, those are all trade names, brand names that became common words. That were genericited <laughs> out genericited. of existence. Genericited. <laughs> okay, there you go. There's... Yeah, cellophane. Cellophane yeah. was originally a trademark of DuPont. Uh-huh. Dry ice, that was actually a trade name back in 1925, the Dry really? Ice Corporation. Yeah, it's a form of carbon dioxide, but that was a trade name. That wasn't just a generic term. Escalator, originally a trademark of Otis. Aspirin was lost after World War I when the Germans lost the war. Because it was uh, a German? The Allies took over the Bayer company. Oh, Bayer. And they took all their trademarks and everything. Ah. Now, they gave the company back to the Germans, and they still make aspirin, but the trade name aspirin Is became generic. a generic trade name. All right. As did another trade name about the same year. It was also a trade name for the Bayer company, Heroin. Oh, really? Yeah. That was a trade name? That was a trade name. Aspirin and heroin came out the same year. Ah. So those are just some of the trade names that have been genericized. I found a whole list of them. Flip phone was originally a Motorola trade name. Did you know that? Oh, sort of. Flip phone. Okay. So do you know that there are four presidents that for their entire term in office did not have a vice president? Who were they, Bob? Oh. See, I was going to say... I was going to say Harry Truman being one of those because he came into office when FDR died, right? Uh, and yes, those for I, those three years, he didn't have a vice president. Then when he ran again, he did have a vice president, Alvin Barkley. Okay. So I don't know who the other four were. Well. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Gerald Ford didn't have a vice. Oh, uh, yes, he did. They they made Nelson Rockefeller vice president after. I'm sorry. What's the answer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm half right. Millard Fillmore, Andrew Johnson, Chester Arthur, and John Tyler. None of them had vice presidents. Yeah, because they were all vice presidents under presidents who died in office. I'll be darned. Okay. We had 37 years of our 245-year history without a second in command. Until the passage of the 25th Amendment in 1967, Mm -hmm. there was no procedure to fill the role if a commander-in-chief died in office. Until when? Until 1967. Jeez. Yeah, that's hard to believe. Well, it's amazing. It takes a long time to get things right, doesn't it, sometimes? I mean, this democracy is a messy business. Yes, and we still haven't gotten right on a lot of things. We're only half right. (laughs) Didn't you call me half right? Yes. Okay. Okay, back to languages, Marcia. What about... Portuguese. Where do most of the Portuguese speakers in the world live? And the answer is not in Portugal. Portugal. Yes. <laughs> Believe it or not. In the Americas, Marsha, what I mean, country? United States. No. Brazil. Only 5% of Portuguese speakers actually live in Portugal. The other countries, in addition to Brazil, are Angola, Equatorial Guinea, and five more countries and territories. Also Mozambique. Those are all Portuguese-speaking countries. So that shows you the influence of Portugal as one of the first major explorers in the world. They sent boats out all over the world, and all these countries, they had colonies. They were a key factor in the beginning of exploration. It's like the same thing with the Spanish. Look at all the Spanish-speaking people in the world. And likewise, the English did the same. Back in 1925, Robert, Mm -hmm. 
What American city claimed to be the seafood capital of the world? 1925? Yeah. What American city? Was it Boston? Nope. 1925. Was it Miami or one of the southern states? It was a southern city. Okay. Let's say it was Savannah, Georgia. No, it was Biloxi, Mississippi. Oh, really? Back in the day, seafood was so abundant in that area that they shipped 20 million tons of seafood to the rest of the country every year. 20 million tons? Yeah. They had 40 canneries side by side in the area、wow. where mostly women and children packed shrimp and chucked oysters for 10 cents an hour. Packed shrimp and shucked oysters. That's not easy to say, Marsha. It、Marge. isn't, and I obviously didn't say it easily. <laughs> Speaking of water, what's the saltiest body of water on Earth? Well,、Marcia? it has to be like the Dead Sea or the thing in Utah, the、uh, Salt Lake City. I would think that too. That would be where the largest body of salt water on Earth is. But, but I'm wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> It's called Gaitala Pond in northern Ethiopia. What? This is in 2005, following an earthquake, a new pond occurred. So it's a pretty new place. It's 200 feet long, 130 feet wide, and while the average percentage in salt by weight in the oceans is 3.38%, yeah. that pond's percentage of salt is 43.3%. Wow. You could pretty well float on that one. And the water is hot, 60 degrees centigrade, which is 140 degrees Fahrenheit because the heat is coming through a fissure from volcanic rock. So this is a pond. It's the highest concentration of salt in the world. It's a new Guinness World Record. It's、huh? the Gaitala Pond in northern Ethiopia. You、huh? mentioned the Great Salt Lake.、Yeah. Their salinity varies from 5 to 27%, and the Dead Sea is at 34%. So this is even higher. It's 43%. Until 2017, the saltiest body of water on Earth was thought to be the Don Juan Pond. Never heard of that one. <laughs> The Don Juan Pond was a shallow Antarctic lake lying in the dry upper right valley of the continent, and its salinity was 40.2%. Okay, Bob, what is FAS, foreign accent syndrome? FAS, foreign accent syndrome. syndrome. Well, this is an acronym that needs a T at the end, FAST, but it doesn't <laughs> right. have it. Doesn't have it. <laughs> I would assume this is when people go into. Kind of a spell or a trance, and they start speaking in almost tongues. They speak with a foreign accent,、yeah. even though they're not from that part of the world.、Yeah. It's kind of a strange well, spell. It's not that common, but it often occurs after a head injury of some sort, and the person wakes up with a totally different foreign accent, different from any place they've ever visited or lived. They're suddenly speaking with an Irish brogue or an English accent, and they're American. And it's not that common, but it happens enough that they gave it its own name F A S. Je suis Robert, mon frère. <laughs> <laughs> they don't speak the language, they just use the accent. Oh, they just sound like they're、yes. from France or、Correct. something. And they can't stop. <laughs> That's me when I was trying to learn a new language.、Yeah. I would just irritate the hell out of people. I can't believe that. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, Marsha, what state has the fewest counties? They have three counties. That's okay. it. Okay, all right. I'll say Wyoming. No, oh,、Montana. Wyoming's way too big. Oh, oh, okay. Has to okay, be a like small for, state. Rhode Island. It's not Rhode Island. I was going to give you some clues, but. Oh, give me some clues. Oh, here's a clue Rhode Island. <laughs> But you're wrong. Okay, Vermont. No. It is. I'm giving you more clues, Marcia. Slow down. I'll shut up. Rhode Island, Hawaii, West Virginia, or Delaware? Delaware. Delaware, that's it. They have three <laughs> counties, just three. Okay. The state with the fewest. Rhode Island and Hawaii aren't far behind. They have five counties each.、Huh. And Newcastle County, Kent County, and Sussex County comprise the entirety of Delaware. 
which became the first state admitted to the Union in 1787. It's 49th in land area. It's the next smallest state. Okay. Texas, how many counties does it have? I'll say 24. Texas has more counties than any other state. Okay. Any other oh, state. Oh, that's uh, then it double that. 55. More counties than any other state, Marsh. 75. More counties than... 120. Well, I guess you're never going to get there. 254. Holy come on. 254 counties in Texas. Okay, before I get to my closers here, astronomers recently discovered 12 new moons around which planet in our solar system? Wow, 12 new moons? Yeah, Unless I've been asleep, it's not the Earth. You were asleep. <laughs> okay. Uh, could it be Jupiter? That's it. It's the biggest planet in our solar system, and they just found 12 new moons going around it for a total of 92 moons. Wow. Saturn is second. They have 83 moons. 83 moons? Yeah. And the rings. They got a lot going on in Saturn. <laughs> Think of all the tides that are controlled by moons. <laughs> it's interesting to ponder. Okay, Marcia, what do these things have in common? Laundromat, linoleum, mimeograph, quonset. They're words introduced into the English language at the same time? You're wrong! <laughs> no, this is back to the genera side, Marsh. These, okay. are, these oh, were trademarks. They were, okay. Laundromat was a Westinghouse trademark at one point, and they actually used it for a laundry machine and for coin laundry, but that was expired. Linoleum, which came out around the time of Abraham Lincoln, was a trade name. Mimeograph, an invention of Thomas Edison that was marketed by the A.B. Dick Company. And Quonset was a trademark of the Great Lakes Steel Corporation and a brand of those Quonset yeah. huts. Yeah. First built in Quonset Point, Rhode Island. Oh, that really? Yeah. Oh, my ex-advertising guy, you're just full Sorry of it. Sorry about that. That's uh, all right. Okay. okay, Bob, here's some almost last words of the famous writer Oscar Wilde, mm. who died in a cheap, dingy hotel in Paris. My wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. One or the other of us has to go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic Oscar Wilde As quote. he peeled off and one went away. One of us away. has to go. That's a good one. That's a good one. I have a little story I'd like to read before the end of the show, and okay. then you can come back with a funny quote, as you always do. I just uh, finished reading James Patterson by James Patterson. Mm -hmm. That's a book called The Stories of My Life. He told this touching parable he heard while working at J. Walter Thompson Advertising, and he's used it in every one of his college graduation speeches he's ever done. Huh. He says, uh, imagine life as a game in which you're juggling five balls in the air. Let's name them work, family, health, friends, and spirit. Somehow you're keeping all these balls in the air, juggling them. Not an easy thing to do. Hopefully you come to understand that work is a rubber ball. <laughs> it's the only ball that's rubber, and if you drop it, it'll probably bounce back. <laughs> but the other four balls, family, health, friends, and spirit, they're all made of glass. Oh, wow. You can break any one of them. If you drop one of those, it will be irrevocably scuffed, marked, nicked, damaged, or even shattered. It will never be the same. Wow. So you can let that ball that's work drop once in a while. Yeah, that's excellent. And I'm going to finish with a quote from an unknown person, but I like it. My mind is like my internet browser. At least 19 open tabs, three of them frozen, and I have no clue where the music is coming from. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, don't you hate that? Where is that thing that's playing on my computer? That's my mind 
in constant disarray. And with that, oh, I hear music playing, Marsha. Where is that coming from? I don't that know. must be our theme song. Me I guess either. that means it's time to go. Okay. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. You've been listening to The Off Ramp. The Off Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.